title of this talk today is The Promise Keeper. Okay, I wonder if we've got any good promise keepers here in this room. Um, I'm definitely not perfect, but I do love it when somebody shares with me their big news and asks me to keep it a secret. I absolutely love it. And I don't know why this happens to me, but often I end up finding out about romances before they go public, or babies way before a 12-week scan, or even better, engagements. And I remember um, years back now, my friend Ben was going to ask his um, girlfriend to marry him, and he told me three months before, and he was like, I need you to keep it a secret. Three months? I mean, can you believe it? I was like really good friends with them. And it wasn't just the when, it was all the details. It was how, it was where, it was what the ring was going to look like. It was absolutely everything. And I've got to be honest, I loved those three months. I absolutely loved it, partly because, obviously, I felt like the trusted and honoured friend, you know. But, really, I loved it because I had the secret information that nobody else had, and I absolutely loved it. So, do you th- how do you think I got on? Do you think I kept that secret? Yes. Congratulations to me, I did. Absolutely. And if you're wondering if I'm sitting on anything else like that at the moment, couldn't say, you know. <laughs> Locked in my internal vault. But um, of course, there's been times where I haven't been so good at keeping promises. The girl guides promise comes to mind. I promise I'll do my best. On it goes. Basically, I didn't do my best. I was naughty and ended up having to be asked to leave. (laughs) Unbelievable. I'll save you the details for another day with that. But um, I don't think I'm alone, perhaps, today in not always being the best promise keeper. We live in a time, don't we, where promises can sometimes seem a little bit kind of cheap, especially over the last couple of years. It's like, you know, you can celebrate Christmas with your family. Oh, no, you can't. You can go back to work. Oh, no, get back to home. Or this one, your gas and electricity. It's set for two years. Don't worry about it. Oh, no, that's not either. And probably the biggest curveball, after 37 years, we were finally promised that neighbours was going to be over. (laughs) Even that, guys, is coming back. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? But it's a challenge, isn't it? What a challenge when a promise is broken. You know, think for the moment about promises that you've made or have been made to you. Like maybe in your relationships, maybe at work. Because those promises, kept ones, They have the ability to trust and to strengthen relationships, but a broken promise can be devastating and have the ability to ruin like even the best of relationships in just a moment. And uh, I know we're still in November, but actually today is the first Sunday in Advent. Some of you are like, what's Advent? I've never heard of that before. Well, Advent is the season where we prepare our hearts for Christmas for the arrival of Jesus, but it's also a season where we reflect on and remember the promises of God. And if you've never read this book before, this is the Bible. And the first half of it, the the Old Testament, was written hundreds of years before the second part, which is the New Testament. And what you'll see is, if you read this book, that in the pages of the Old Testament is there are loads and loads of promises that God makes to his people. And they get fulfilled in the second part, in the arrival of Jesus. And so this theme is absolutely crucial throughout the Bible. We're just going to zip through some this morning. In Genesis we see God promising Adam and Eve that they were exiled from Eden. There should be a slide coming up. We got that? Brilliant. God promises Adam and Eve that they were exiled from Eden and that one of their descendants would defeat evil. Later on, God promised um, Abraham and Sarah that through their family, the whole world would be blessed. 
In Deuteronomy, God promises Moses that he would send a prophet to his people who would speak the words of God. In 2 Samuel, God promises King David that one of his descendants would have an unending kingdom and that he would be called God's son. In Isaiah, God promises his people that he would send a servant, a servant who would bear the sins of many and pour out his life unto death, interceding for sinners. That's just a few, but we see in the words of scriptures that he is the ultimate promise keeper. And all of those promises, they're ultimately, they're fulfilled in Jesus, right? In his life, in his death, and his resurrection. And the Apostle Paul, later on in 2 Corinthians, puts it like this. He says, the verse that's behind me, for in him, he's talking about Jesus, every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason, it is through him that we say amen to the glory of God. And so we see that God promised to send Jesus We see that as promised, Jesus came. And it's because of that that we can trust the promises in the New Testament that Jesus will one day return. And when he returns, he will set everything right. No more pain or tears and sin and death and evil will be gone. We'll be in perfect relationship with God. Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds good. And so right in the beginning of Advent, you know, before any calendars are opened, if you've opened your Advent calendar, you're going to have to come up for prayer afterwards. It's too soon. No, I'm just joking. You know, before any presents are unwrapped, before any presents, in my case, are even bought, like, we're going to be looking today at some of the promises that Jesus makes to his disciples. And they're in the chapters between John, chapter 14, and chapter 17. And so what we're going to see is that Jesus is the ultimate promise keeper. And so we're jumping in here, and you pick up these chapters, it's kind of like Jesus is talking with his disciples and he's warning them. He's kind of saying, oh, I'm going I'm to be going away. He's, he's talking about his crucifixion. And so the disciples, their worlds have been flipped upside down, right? They, they are understandably worried. They've been plunged into this uncertainty. And so in these chapters, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to bring comfort and encouragement to his disciples by making a number of promises. And, uh, and in chapter 17, verse 20, it says this. I thought we'd move then. Okay, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And so what Jesus is saying is he's, he, he's, he's not just praying for his original disciples. And so it's not a stretch that for us, over 2,000 years later, that we can stand on and hold on to these promises because he's making them to us too. And I want to encourage you later on, perhaps this afternoon, this week, jump into these promises, jump into these chapters, because there's jumbo, honestly, there's so many promises in there. And here's the headlines, should be a slide for this one. John 15, verse 9, Jesus promises us his love. John 15, verse 11, Jesus promises us joy. John 14, verse 27, Jesus promises us his peace. John 15, 5, Jesus promises us that through abiding, we'll be fruitful. John 15, 15, John promises to be our, Jesus promises to be our friend. John 14, verse 16, Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit. John 17, verse 3, Jesus promises us life. Four chapters, right? Promises, promises, promises. Jesus is the ultimate promise keeper. And today what I want to do is I want to just zoom in on a few of these promises. The first one is this. Jesus promises us his friendship. John 15 says this. 
Here we go. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have been made to you. And if you've read much of the Bible, you'll know that the Apostle Paul, when when he talks, he goes on to to talk about himself as a servant or as the slave of God. And it's true that while on one hand, like we're, we're to live to serve God, but the relationship goes way deeper than that because God is offering us friendship. And uh, this, for the, you know, this morning, probably most of you listening are probably like, well, that's not exactly groundbreaking news. No, of course it's not, because many of us that know Jesus, we know this stuff. But guys, let's never get over it. That the God of the universe, who flung the stars into space, who puts breath in our lungs, who created every single one of us, who in this book is the king of kings, calls us friends. Can't get my head around that. A few weeks back, I was um, in my youth small group, and we were looking at a Bible passage together, and we got onto the conversation of saying, what would we do if Jesus like, physically walked into the room right now? You know, so like how I'm standing on the stage, and we ended up in all sorts of conversations. And one girl, she said this, she said, hey, if Jesus was to walk into this room right now, I'm not sure what I'd do first. Like, I don't know whether I'd fall to my knees in awe or whether I'd run and I would hug him like a friend. Amazing. And I cried in the car on the way home because that young person understands something about Jesus that we can so easily forget. Yes, he's our Lord. Yes, he's our saviour. But he's also promised us friendship. And if you were looking at these passages with a bit of a hawk eye, like a super detailed kind of person, you might be thinking, what's going on there? Is Jesus' promise, like a, is it a condition? Because he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And I think to help us understand this a little bit, you've kind of got to zoom out and look at the wider context of all of those passages because what's happening in these, in these sections is that over and over again, Jesus is using two words. He's using this word remain, remaining, and he's using a word abide, abiding. And it's not this like one-way kind of thing. It's a mutual kind of remaining. Jesus encourages us to remain in him as Jesus himself is remaining in us. And we see this in in verse 9 of chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And so what we see is we see Jesus who always acts first. He calls us his friends first. He rescued us when we were lost and broken and we had no interest in God. And he says this in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose and I appointed you. You see, when he's initiated the relationship, he commands us therefore to remain in it, to remain in that relationship, remain in my love. You're my friends if you do what I command. It's less of a condition and it's more of a mutual remaining. And um, I love reading about John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, and his, his, he kind of really got this. He understood like, what a friendship with God looks like, and it's definitely right, because Debbie knew him, and she's nodding. And um, his, his then wife, Carol, said this about him. He did not consider himself a particularly spiritual man. He prayed regularly all, all the time, 
without warning. In the midst of a conversation he was having, he'd say, well, Lord, here I am again, and I still don't know what you want me to do. I'll wait for you, Lord, to straighten it out. Thanks, Jesus. You know, he just talked to God, sometimes sitting at the breakfast table with an empty chair opposite, as if the Lord himself was sat there. Sometimes he, he knelt down and he would worship, but most of the time he walked around and he prayed, always out loud and always with his eyes open. It was the most natural thing in the world. To me, that's what a friendship with Jesus looks like. John Wimber had learned what it looked like to abide. And of course, abiding and remaining, it, it's got to be a priority and it's going to take time. You know, this week I was um, reflecting on some of my friendships. You'll be pleased to know I've got one or two friends. Um, and the ones that are closest to me, um, we're in touch all the time. Like, honestly, all the time. We're all extroverts and we just love it. So we're on WhatsApp. This week I sent one of them a four-minute voice note. And it wasn't even about anything interesting. It was just me rambling on about all the different things going on in my life. Hanging out, holidays, doing life together. And I couldn't imagine a time where I'd be out of contact with them. I just couldn't imagine it. And that's the kind of friendship that God wants to have with us. And so I want to encourage us this Christmas, as we prepare again to celebrate the promised gift of Jesus, of course, celebrating him as King and Lord and Saviour, because he is those things. But can I encourage you again to marvel, to marvel at him. The King of the universe calls us his friends. Like, do you know his friendship? Are you friends? Are you friends with God? Some of us, I really think, like, we need to marvel again. For others, it's like, you don't know God, you never have, and today, you want to start a friendship with God for the first time. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end. So he promises us his friendship, but he's a friend who's always present. If we move on to the second promise, it's this. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. We find ourselves in John 14, verse 15, it says this. If you love me, keep my commands. That's the remaining thing again. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. And uh, the word here, uh, you know, for advocate, referring to the Holy Spirit, can be translated in all sorts of different ways as like the helper or the comforter or the counsellor. And I'm told that the Greek word literally means the one who is called alongside And so what Jesus is saying to his disciples, whose lives are just flipped upside down, is he's saying, guys, I'm going, but you're not going to be on your own because I am sending you the Holy Spirit who who would live inside of you. And of course, as promised, he comes at Pentecost. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2. And Jesus goes on in these verses to tell us a little bit about what the Holy Spirit is going to do. The Holy Spirit will be with you forever forever will teach you all things and remind you of Jesus' teachings, will testify to you about Jesus, will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment, will guide you into all truth and tell you what Jesus is saying. What amazing promises. For those of us that are following Jesus, like we have received that promise. The Holy Spirit will be, who will be with us forever. And I've been really challenged this week as I've kind of been preparing this over the last couple of weeks because I know this stuff. Like I've been following Jesus for I don't know how long now, a long time. But I found myself asking the question, like, do I actually live my life dependent on him fresh empowering from the Holy Spirit? 
Like, is he my first port of call when things go, go wrong or when things get a little bit tough? Because being honest, and I probably think I'm not the only person in the room who's like this, like, this last term has felt crazy, okay? It's been so busy, lots of things going on, and there's been times where I felt, I don't know if I've got enough in the tank today. Like, I don't know if I have enough wisdom. I certainly don't have enough grace. And there's been times where it's been challenging. And the thing is, where do I find myself running? Where do I run towards? And I don't know what it is for you, but I find myself way too often running towards this. This is my phone if you're watching on audio. Like, running towards this, and I end up on YouTube. And there I am watching videos about all sorts of things. Even this morning, I was watching how do you change a seal on a washing machine. Honestly, it's not the highest priority. Although, that would help. But anyway... You know, it's exactly in those moments, exactly in the moments when things are tough, when life feels pulled from every single angle, that we've got to be running towards, like running towards, not running away, because we have access to the Holy Spirit 24-7. So when you're busy, when your life is full, when things get a little bit tough, what do you do? Do you run towards or do you run towards something else? And for me, I want to be someone that always runs towards. And so I've challenged myself over the last few weeks to say at every opportunity to stop and to pray, come Holy Spirit. So when I wake up in the morning, that's what I'm doing. When I wake up in the night, if I've got things running through my head, when I'm you know, um, getting ready, when I'm cooking dinner, whatever it is on my own with friends, is praying Come Holy Spirit, because you know what I know to be true, having walked with Jesus for a number of years, this promise is not cheap. It's a promise that is firm, that when we ask him to come, he comes. And I've known it to be true on so many occasions. You know, when I've lost a loved one, in his presence I found comfort. When at times during COVID I felt so alone, in his presence I felt surrounded. When at times I've struggled with maybe anxieties or something to do with health, like in his presence I've found peace. When I've been in situations where I'm just like, how's this going to work out? Like In his presence, I've found wisdom and solutions. When I've lacked courage, in his presence, I've been filled with boldness. When I'm loving life, which is a lot of the time, but also when I'm not and I'm finding it harder, and that's some of the time. I have known his precious presence to be so unbelievably real to me. Sometimes in dramatic ways, but honestly, mostly not. Mostly just in in quiet ways. And just this week, um, well, last week, I was texted a few friends to say, hey, how's this work for you? Can you give me a one-liner for how a time being in God's presence impacted you? And I had loads, honestly, loads of really cool stories. Just got three for you today. First one, I had a little health scare recently. I opened a letter, and the initial feeling of fear was so big. But I took a moment, and I prayed for the Holy Spirit to come. I felt an immediate sense of peace and the sense of doom lifted. Another one, I made a decision to step back from something, and I was like, what have I done? I cried alone, but not alone, because the Holy Spirit in, in, invited me to view myself as the Father does. It's not about what I do, but it's about our closeness. I was filled with an amazing peace. Another one, I remember being at hosp- in hospital, having broken my arm, and this was a really bad break. And as I lay in my bed, looking out the window at the mountains, I prayed, and the Holy Spirit came on me. I distinctively remember a peace coming on me as I was reminded of Psalm 121. Look to the mountains, 
My help comes from the Lord. And so let me ask you again, especially if you've been following Jesus for a while, is your life dependent upon a fresh encounter, a fresh empowering of the Holy Spirit? Is he your first port of call when things go, get tough? Okay, third point, final point. Jesus also promises us life. Okay, this is the final promise we're going to look at. They're all good, but this one is a great one. John chapter 17 says this. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And eternal life is like, it's a massive theme in, in, in John's gospel. Remember John 10.10. 10. The verse you've got on your fridge magnets, it says, I have come so that you might have life and have it to the full. I've come so that you might have life and have it to the full. And I mean, that sounds pretty good, yeah? Sounds great. But what does it mean? Like, what does it actually mean? And I wonder, like, if we sometimes read that Bible passage and we can fall into the trap of thinking, brilliant, brilliant. Come to Jesus and I'm going to get life to the max. Life to the max. It sounds like something out of Pepsi Max or something. And in our mind's eye, we're actually imagining life to the full looking something like this. I don't know which one is life to the full for you. For me, it's the tropical island. Absolutely brilliant. But we can find ourselves thinking, can't we, when we come to Jesus, like my life is going to be perfect. I'll be so loaded. Perhaps I'll retire by the time I'm 40. For me, I need to hurry up because it's not very far away. I'll get everything I want, like good health, comfort, security, an easy ride. And I've gone pretty extreme there. You know, maybe most of us know we're not promised those things in Jesus. But I wonder if in more subtle ways, we can be a little bit surprised when things don't quite match up to what we think life in all its fullness looks like. I don't know, when we get made redundant or the finances don't add up. When a relationship breaks down, when the struggle just feels real. When England do not win the World Cup again. And um, maybe they will. But if you're anything like me, sometimes I can find myself thinking, God, I thought you promised me life to the full. Well, it doesn't feel like it right now. And that's because my view of what Jesus is promising has been distorted. Because the life that we're reading about, the life to the full that we see in these chapters in John, is the promise of life in God, a relationship with God. And verse 17, verse 3 is key to this. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, abundant life, it's knowing the awesome, the eternal God who is love himself. And we can experience that relationship and start that life with him right now. But it's also a life where in a sense like the best is yet to come. Because we're also looking to the future where the promise of Jesus returning will happen. He promised to come. He came and he promises to come again. And as I said earlier, when he does, everything will be made right. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever the pain or the struggle, one day there will be no more pain, no more tears, and we will live with God forever in the new creation. Some of you will have known Duncan. Duncan Jones was a member of this church. And John Bodley was telling me this week of his story when he was at his funeral. 
And Duncan suffered with many, many health conditions and physical disabilities. But if you knew him, and I didn't know him super well, but I had some amazing interactions with him, Duncan lived a life that was full of investing in relationships as part of this church, of welcoming newcomers, mentoring people. And the funeral was, of course, like, it was a really sad day because he was going to be missed. But as Duncan's brother shared at the funeral, he reminded the room that Duncan would spend eternity with Jesus, free from those physical disabilities. And he, as he did, he picked up a drum and he started to lead the room in worship. And the room, filled with joy as they celebrated that Duncan can leap and dance, free from anything that would hinder him in eternity. Amazing. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, like there's an invite today to the life that he has to offer. But for many of us that do know him, I think this Advent season is for us to consider again, like what does the promise of life look like for you? Like what does it look like for you now? But what does it look like for eternity? Because in God, with God and in Jesus, there's no cheap promises. There's no cheap promises. Like a promise is a promise. There's no maybes, no mind changes, no curveballs. And I don't know how that impacts you, but for me, like over the last couple of weeks, it's like, as I said before, a lot of this stuff isn't new, but it's like I've um, been overwhelmed again at the love of God. And I've been reading these passages and just thinking... This is like almost too good to be true. It's incredible that the God of the universe promises us his friendship, promises us the Holy Spirit, promises us life. It's absolutely unbelievable. And I don't know what I want to do, whether I want to start crying about it or shouting about it or a mixture of everything because he is so, so, so good. He is the ultimate promise keeper. He promised that he would come. He came And he promises that he would come again. And so this Christmas, as we're chucking out invites and we're welcoming people to beer and carols or the carol service or whatever it is you're doing on your street, we're not just inviting people to have a nice glass of delicious mulled wine with us. We are inviting them to the life that Jesus offers that's available to all of us. And for me, as I reflect on the promises of God, it's like, I don't know what else to do but to offer myself wholeheartedly back to him. And I want to encourage us today to do the same. So if you're able, why don't we stand?